Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right, good morning. Uh, Pastor Don obviously couldn't be here today, so he asked me to kind of step in and and share with you a little bit. So kind of got two points I'm going to cover. Uh, First off, I want to talk about missions update. So missions is a particular interest of mine. It's, you know, kind of one of my passions. And so I kind of want to take this opportunity to share a little bit about what's going on around the world with various missions. Um, All these, you know, all these items, I mean, some are things to pray for, some are things to, you know, to give thanks and praise for. Uh, But anyways, all these organizations do need uh, need prayer, so if you'd keep them in mind. Um, And I've only included a few organizations here, but there's, I mean, there's tons of organizations out there that are, doing great work and you know this is you know i if i if i didn't include your favorite organization it's not because i think less of them it's just that you know i could be here all week talking about the different ones um so with that the first one i want to talk about is voice of the martyrs um this is one that some of you here might be familiar with uh voice of the martyrs was founded in 1967 by a romanian pastor who was uh jailed for 14 years for his faith by the communist government um their mission is to serve persecuted Christians and churches all over the world and uh, provide various types of support. Uh, one of the places they're working right now is in Chiapas, Mexico, which is a region in southern Mexico. Um, it's predominantly populated by people from older indigenous tribes, such as the Mayans. Um, the indigenous people are largely neglected by the government, and evangelical Christians are being attacked, murdered, and forced to leave their hometowns mostly for being forced to uh, participate in local religion, which is uh, a blending of some Catholic traditions and some local uh, uh, pagan-type religions. Um, They're often labeled as threats to local government to provide legal justification for this. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is providing support to displaced people, uh, care, and helping them relocate. Uh, In North Korea... Um, possessing a Bible, meeting for religious purposes, or speaking about Jesus or God are all offenses punishable by death. Um, there is a state-approved religion. It is worship of the leader, uh, currently Kim Jong-un. And it's estimated there are 100,000 Christians there that do worship in secret. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is, supports radio broadcasts to reach into North Korea and also using balloons to distribute literature there. Uh, in the United Arab Emirates, uh, it's a country of seven, uh, consisting of seven states best known for the city of Dubai, and it's one of the very few Muslim countries in the world that actually allows Christians to, open, to worship openly. There are Christian churches there and so on. And while there's no explicit law against evangelism, any missionaries are typically arrested and deported. Uh, But there is being progress made there because, again, in rural areas, uh, they have a lot of needs, and the government is allowing some of those to be met by medical missions. 
And so while conducting these uh, humanitarian medical relief missions there, uh, these groups are also able to, to uh, evangelize covertly to various people. Uh, Samaritan's Purse is another one that you might have heard of. They've been in the news quite a bit recently. Um, they were founded in 1970 for the purpose of meeting emergency needs through existing churches and missionary organizations, sort of using uh, uh, organizations that are already in place. And uh, they're probably best known for their Operation Christmas Child uh, operation. Um, they're currently airlifting supplies into northern Iraq. And believe it or not, winters in northern Iraq can actually be quite cold. They get snow, temperatures get down into the 20s. Uh, there are 1.3 million people that have been displaced from their homes and lost everything due to attacks from ISIS. Um, most of them right now are just living out in the fields or abandoned structures, makeshift tents. Um, they have no steady source of food, no steady source of water. Uh, Samaritan's Purse is currently airlifting in um, sleeping bags and supplies for makeshift shelters to try and help these people survive the winter. Uh, Samaritan's Purse is also currently uh, engaged in supplies for Ebola relief. Uh, in the countries of Liberia, uh, Guinea, and Sierra Leone. Um, so far, they've sent over 100 tons of protective equipment, such as gloves, respirators, masks, face shields, uh, protective garments. And they're also working on training local health care workers and people to uh, at least help care for these people without getting infected and how to care for family members and how to uh, recognize the disease um, also, uh, disposal, proper disposal of remains is another huge issue over there. Um, interestingly enough, all three of these countries are also on the Voice of the Martyrs watch list as countries that are hostile to Christianity, either, well, in all three cases, both officially and unofficially, where, uh, you know, where Christians are, are being persecuted and churches are being torn down and so on. Um, and, Next, there's Mission Aviation Fellowship, which some of you might know that I'm affiliated with. It was started in 1945 to reach isolated people all over the world. And uh, what's going on right now? Currently, uh, there's there's a MAF unit in the Democratic Republic of Congo that's currently working with medical missions there to uh, try to contain the outbreak of Ebola there. Um, they're also making very good progress at gaining entry to a country that uh, has currently been closed to all missions activity for 50 years. The official government is very hostile to Christianity, and uh, so they're keeping the name of the country very quiet, but if you're familiar with countries in this region, you probably know what, which one they're talking about. Um, MAF is trying to gain permission to conduct humanitarian relief work in the, in the rural areas with the poorest people, uh, to try and help ease their suffering and minister to them. And the need is great enough that the government is actually uh, uh, allowing the permission process to move forward, and it looks like next year they'll be starting operations there. Uh, as of Friday, October 15th, um, MAF has raised approximately 50% of the money needed to bring the Jesus movie to five countries next year where it's either never been utilized or it hasn't been utilized for a long time. 
Um, it's the Jesus movie presentations are fairly equipment intensive, and the equipment breaks down over time, and uh, and needs to be supported and maintained. And so, in some of these countries, you know, such as Haiti, you know, the 20 years ago, the, the Jesus movie was very uh, successful, but the equipment has just degraded over time, and or has been. Uh, uh, cannibalized to support other other operations, and so there's a they're trying to raise thirty nine thousand dollars to bring it back to uh, five countries uh, by Thanksgiving, and like I said, as of Friday they're halfway there. Uh, finally, there's Open Doors, and this was founded by a Dutch Bible smuggler who goes by the name Brother Andrew in 1955. And his story can be found in the book God's Smuggler. And it's not a, it's not a thick book, but it's an absolutely tremendous read. Um, you know, you talk about faith that moves mountains, and this guy is just a prime example of that. Um, if you read the book, you'll find out the significance of the Blue Beetle. I'm not going to give it away. Um, but again, highly recommend it. Uh, Open Doors provides Bibles, literature, and leadership and theological training to Christians and churches in isolated nations. Uh, in 2013, they delivered 2.3 million Bibles, uh, children's Bibles, and pieces of biblical literature. Right now, they have workers that travel into North Korea under aliases, risking imprisonment and execution to meet with, support, and train believers there. Uh, they're also working in refugee camps in Lebanon. Uh, they're ministering to people who have been displaced by the conflict in Syria. And uh, they're providing humanitarian aid, health care, education, and trauma counseling to you know, the people who have fled the war there. Uh, in India, they're oper- they are operating a couple of education centers in some of the most rural areas. And what they're doing is they're teaching people skills to... Uh, to rise above a basic hunting and gathering existence. There's still people there that are largely illiterate and have no skills beyond just uh, very basic hunting and farming skills, and they're trying to teach them how to how to be able to produce things, to support themselves, and um, make better use of the soil, and so on. So that's just what's going on in a few places around the world. Uh, like I said, there's so many more needs and so many more things that I could talk about, but you know, I could be up here for a week. So I want to move on to the second portion, which is the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is found in all four Gospels, and that's significant. Um, you know, the different Gospels record different details and don't all you know mention the same events, but things that are recorded in all four Gospels are, are usually important. Um, you know, and and that's just sort of the nature of of writing eyewitness accounts. I mean, the the classic example of that is you know, uh, two people you know see the same thing, but they don't re- record it the same way. I mean, you know, my, you know, Karen and I might both see a car, and she'll see an old car, and I'll see a forty nine Mercury coupe that's you know been lowered, and so on. So you know, when we report that, we're just going to report different details. Uh, the origin of the phrase "the Great Commission's not known, but it's generally used to refer to the time when a resurrected Jesus sent the apostles out in the world uh, to spread the gospel. And uh, like I said, it occurs in all four gospels. 
In Matthew it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Mark sixteen fourteen through 20, it says, Afterward, he appeared to the leaven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and was and was confirmed and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. In Luke twenty four, forty six to forty nine it says and he and said to and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you with the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed from power on high. And finally, in John, 19, uh, John twenty nineteen to 23, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw it was the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed upon them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness of any, it is withheld. So, the elements of the Great Commission, the things that they all have in common. First off is the command, Go. Jesus is speaking to his disciples from a position of authority, and there's no conditions or limitations upon this command. Uh, You know, these apostles acknowledge his sovereignty, and if, you know, if we do likewise, then we need to follow his command to go. Go where? Go to all the world. And this is significant because previously in Matthew 10, 5 through 6, when Jesus had sent out the disciples, you know, he had said, only preach to the Jews. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. Only go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now he's saying, go out to all the world. What do we do when we get there? In Matthew 28, 19, it says, make disciples. And by making disciples, it's not just conversion. 
Making disciples is a is a long process where you know you not only, a person's not only comes to believe but they grow in their spiritual life. And when you disciple someone, you come alongside them and you provide instruction and encouragement and and you also receive the same from others. Uh, it's an ongoing process. Uh, and if we look at the model of Jesus, Jesus came to Earth. And he lived alongside these disciples for three years and taught them and encouraged him, and they were able to to witness his example. And uh, I don't, you know, if uh, we follow his example, uh, we'll do the same to people. Even after his crucifixion, Jesus returned to earth to encourage, to instruct, and uh, to help fortify his disciples to go out in the world. So, uh, discipling people is is it's not a quick one and done. It's a it's a long term uh, commitment to relationship, and any mission or outreach, you know, should have this this element of of relationship and and ongoing contact with the people that they're trying to help if they're going to follow Jesus' example. Uh, we're also to proclaim the the gospel in Mark sixteen fifteen, and you know I think that's fairly clear. You know, I real you know it's such a uh, a straightforward statement. I don't know how much I can uh, elaborate on that. Uh, you know, one thing that uh, some people do get hung up on in that in there is that you know when we talk about these. The signs and wonders uh, portion of the message, um, you know, the the handling of serpents and so on, the speaking in tongues. You know, some churches really get wrapped up in that, that, you know, speaking in tongues or handling serpents is the the indicator of your faith or, or your spiritual standing. Um, I don't see it that way. I, you know, I think that, you know, these things, these things did occur at, you know, at Pentecost, the apostles spoke in new tongues. Paul was bitten by a venomous serpent, you know, and, and was able to shake it off and it didn't harm him. Um, and these things were all, you know, signs that helped establish the, the bona fides and the credibility of these apostles. But, you know, their absence doesn't mean that the message is any less valid. So, you know, well, if you see these, you know, if you should happen to witness one of these things, you know, great, be amazed, be encouraged. It lends credibility to the message. But, you know, I, I don't think they're required, and I don't think their absence is an indication of lack of faith or lack of credibility or authenticity. Uh, to proclaim the forgiveness, or I'm sorry, to uh, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Um, again, the, uh, this is very straightforward, and the you know when you look at the how the word repentance is used, you know, and you, you drill down on some of the original text. It's both a a physical turning away and a mental turning away uh, from your previous uh, wrongdoings. Um, and finally, to preach the forgiveness of sins. And and when some people read you know John twenty twenty three. Um, if you read it in isolation, you know, some people come to think that, okay, well, it's the apostles that are going out and forgiving sins, and, you know, and if we're disciples and apostles, that, you know, we do the same. And there's been uh, quite a bit written on this, and, you know, again, you can go into, you know, Greek verb tenses and the character and relationship of the original apostles and so on, but that's, you know, again, after reviewing some of the commentaries and so on, that's not 
my interpretation of it. The way I interpret this, the key is to look at the previous two verses. And uh, in verse 21 and 22. And you see that the apostles are sent with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is able to see into a person's heart and see their repentance. And the Holy Spirit, as a, you know, as being God in, in that presence, is able to forgive a person's sin. Therefore, uh, currently my current best understanding of this is that the apostles were to proclaim the gospel, but the actual forgiveness and actual uh, work of changing a person is perfor- performed by God who's present in the form of the Holy Spirit at, you know, during that mission. So how does, you know, what does this mean to me, right? How does this apply to you? Well, again, if we're going to acknowledge the sovereignty of God and we're going to follow that command to go, then the next thing is we need to be about making disciples. How do we do this? Again, there's as many different ways to do this as there are people out there. Um, it's, you know, and I know I'm, I'm probably beating the drum, but it's a relationship-based process. Uh, you know, you need to, you can't just walk up to someone and, you know, and, uh, and just bluntly say, look, you need to do A, B, C, and D, and, you know, and I'm discipling you, and you're going to like it. Okay? Um, you need to establish a relationship with them, and you know, as you minister to people and help meet their needs and listen to them and get to know them, you establish a certain credibility and a certain uh, uh, repertoire with them that allows you to speak to various things in their lives, and they'll listen to you, and, you know, and they'll value your advice. Um, and you know, and the other, it works the other way too. One of the first ways we learn as little kids is by imitation. And I mean, you know, you see little kids always trying to imitate older kids and grown-ups. And if you are, you know, if you're present in this person's life and ministering and helping them, and they see you dealing with difficulties and challenges in a biblical manner and not dealing with it like the rest of the world does, that example is a witness to them and it's instructive to them in to how they can handle these same problems when they do come along. So another uh, comparison I make is that a discipling church looks a lot like a healthy, functioning family. Uh, The mature members can help guide and advise the less mature members and their peers. As members grow in maturity and wisdom, they'll need less instruction, less guidance in small matters. They become more autonomous. Uh, members have a close, intimate knowledge of each other. They hold each other accountable. We check, you know, we take care of each other. Uh, and members bear with each other along the way. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to help correct each other. We're going to forgive each other when we wrong, you know, when we inadvertently hurt each other and, and, and wrong each other. And it's, it's all part of a, you know, a spiritual growing up process. And, you know, Paul references this, you know, he, he talks about being mature versus immature in the spirit and you know and you start off on milk and move to meat and so on and it's you know and i think in the in the life of a believing body it's a it's a really uh apt analogy so that talks about discipling people in a church you know outside the church everyone's in ministry you know if you're a believer you're in full-time ministry whether you know it or not um we're all witnesses. Everything we do in our everyday life is a witness. Um, 
you know, the, you know, your lives or, you know, your examples, everything you do proclaims the word of God. Now, some people are called to participate in larger, more formal organizations, you know, I mean, like MAF, Open Doors, so on. And, you know, and how you participate and support them varies. But, you know, that's not for everyone, and those organizations certainly don't fill all needs and cover all possibilities. Um, there are many local uh, you know, opportunities as well. And some of us you know, are called to work in a more informal, uh, smaller setting. And uh, I think that's just a matter of using, uh, using the gifts God has given us and using the resources that God has given us in the best way that we can. Um, you know, if you don't know where you fit, uh, the only advice I can give you is to just actively and earnestly seek God's will and he'll reveal it to you. So, as an example, I want to tell you how this plays out in my life. Um, you know, not that I get it all right or anything, not that, you know, I, but, you know, as I've gone through life, I've, you know, I've been led to a few different things and, and seen how this works. Um, and first off, in my daily life, in my role as a, a husband, a parent, um, you know, an employee, uh, you know, how I conduct myself and how I, you know, lead, you know, try to lead my household in a biblical manner has a real direct impact on the spiritual life, you know, of both my wife and my kid. Um, if I do it well, their spiritual lives are enhanced. If I fall down, you know, I'm hurting their spiritual life. So there's a, there's a real responsibility there. Um, you know, it also affects me at work. Um, Colossians 3.23 says that we should do all our work as unto the Lord. So, you know, no one has a perfect job. Everyone has days where they really don't like their job, and, you know, your boss just makes you want to tear your hair out and bleed from the ears. Um, You know, and you really don't want to be there. But... Those are the days when you really need to remember, you know, you're not working for this, you know, this guy or this company or whoever. You know, you're working for the Lord. There just happens to be some other people there. And how you carry yourself out in those bad days and under those really adverse circumstances, that's a witness to other people around you as well. And other people will notice, uh, you know, when when bad things happen to you at work and I don't know about your jobs, but I know bad things happen to me at work sometimes. Um, you know, how you handle that is a reflection of who you are and a, and a reflection of your, uh, your spiritual state and, uh, and your witness. So one of the other things that it affects there is how you discharge the responsibilities at work. I mean, all of us are entrusted with different levels of responsibility and so on, and, um, you know, both financial and over other people. And how you use that uh, is also another example of, uh, of, of a witness and, and of your spiritual life shining through. Now, most of you know that in addition to my job, I also serve with Mission Aviation Fellowship. And my primary duty there, primary duties there are to tell people about our mission, solicit prayer, and to invite those who are similarly called to join us. And how I came to this position, um, you know, well, for years um, I felt very convicted because 
I knew that I've been richly blessed. Okay, I look at where you know the country I live in, and and where I you know the things that I have, and uh, you know everything that's available to me. And just first off, by simple fact of where I was born, you know, puts me better off than most of the world. Um, you know, and I've had the opportunity to you know. I, I can get all the books I want about the, you know the Bible and God and the saints and you know all this information is available to me and and like I said every you know just by virtue of all of us being able to be here compared to most of the world we have it pretty good um, and after a while you know the more I came to understand that the more I became convicted that I wasn't doing enough with what I'd been entrusted with and. You know, because I, I really wasn't, in, you know, at the time I really wasn't involved in any uh, outside ministry roles. You know, I was just going to work, going home, and, and that was it. So pretty much my whole life revolved around, you know, me. Um, and that just, you know, and when I read about, you know, when I read in the Bible about, you know, the different, uh, you know, the servants entrusted with different talents and, you know, how their, their performances are viewed, I knew that I'd been given a lot of talents, but I wasn't using them very well. Um, and so it took me a long time, you know, a lot of prayer and a lot of searching to find an organization and a mission where, you know, where I fit in. Basically, and you know, most of you know me. I say, well, yeah, Mission Aviation Fellowship, duh. You know, <laughs> why didn't you go there sooner? But uh, really, you know, it was uh, something I had to be led to, and uh, you know, I really, you know, I, I didn't seek that role because when I when I looked at it, I thought, well, they won't take me as a part time pilot, so there's nothing I can do. You know, and it turns out, well, they did have a role that, you know, I could fill. I just didn't know about it. And I needed to, you know, need to be led to that and set aside some of my preconceived notions. So after a lot of prayer, uh, I was led to MAF, and I've been working with them for a little over two years now. And uh, all I can say is that. Even as I try, you know, the harder I try and, and work for this organization and the more that I try to, to be a blessing to me, I find myself more and more blessed by them. Um, you know, being a part of that has, you know, has just added an incredible dimension to my life. So, all that to say, the Great Commission applies to all of us. Um, there were some, you know, there have been some theologians that have said that, you know, okay, the Great Commission was fulfilled when the apostles went out and taught to all the world, and that's done now. But, uh, uh, you know, and at the time when that was said, yes, the apostles had been to the entire known world, but we've gotten to know a little bit more about the known world since then. And, uh, you know, we certainly cannot say that, you know, the gospel has been proclaimed everywhere, and, you know, we haven't made disciples of all the nations yet. So uh, the Great Commission still applies to all of us, and it is still, uh, I believe it is still unfulfilled. And I think we all have a role to play in it. You know, we, it's, uh, it's one of those uh, many hands make light work type 
type of moments, um, we all have a role that we can fill, whether it's in your workplace, in your home, you know, you know, or just working with some people that, you know, that you happen to meet uh, and being available to be used by God then. Um, the only thing I can tell you with, you know, with 100% certainty is that if you seek God's will for how he would have you participate in this, he will answer. And it may take a while, and some of it, you know, Again, if you're like me, some of it may be just because you've got some preconceived notions and some uh, uh, some stubbornness and you know a little bit of hard headedness about how you think this should go. I mean, I want to help, and this is how I'm going to do it. And uh, sometimes God has something different in mind. Um, so I would you know just encourage you and say that you know you do have a role to fill, you do have a part to play, you do have something that you can contribute, and uh, you know, part of that is, you know, part of the preparation for that is um, a good prayer and spirit and uh, Bible study spiritual life. Uh, you can't be prepared to go out there and answer people and minister to people if you're not in regular contact with God and with His Word. And, you know, you, you need that to be equipped to go out and to handle these situations and to be able to live as a witness. And so if you know, if I was going to leave you with anything today, um, it would be to encourage you to seek his will in this matter and to keep on in your uh, prayer life and your Bible study and continue to grow spiritually. So, Father, I just want to thank you that we can all gather here today. Um, it's an incredible privilege that we can come and gather in a place like this to hopefully learn a little bit about you and to worship you and to praise you. And uh, we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, because of whom we have hope. And, Father, I pray that you'd be with everyone here today, that you'd watch over them, Lord, you'd guide them and keep them in your will, and uh, you would show them how they can be a blessing to others and how they can best represent you in the world. And uh, I look forward to getting back together with all of them again, and I just pray that we can all look forward and, and keep our eyes on the day when we can worship you face to face. Amen.